Thanks, Sue, for this long reading. Um, I'm Cheska Tennant, one of the occasional preachers, and we're going to finish our series on questions of life and death. But this is kind of a two-parter. Last month, I did what happens to our bodies after death, and this month, I'm doing what it's going to be like in eternity. Now, the problem with preaching on what it's going to be like in eternity is really we haven't a clue. Most of the writing in the Bible about eternity is what we call apocalyptic literature. And this is full of metaphor and symbolism and is definitely not meant to be taken literally. It's full of images that tell a greater truth. And so it's kind of difficult to know. So what I want to start with, without taking any of the mystery away from what the life's after death is going to be like, I'm going to quote the end of the last battle. Now, I'm sorry, there's a spoiler here. Everyone dies at the end of the last battle. And um, Narnia is remade. And this is how it finishes. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them down. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The term is over, the holidays have begun. The dream is ended, this is the morning. And that's been my picture of eternity since I was a small child. But that's not what I've been asked to preach on today. I want to introduce you to one of my happy places. This is my shower. I just love showering, especially since I got the new boiler, which consistently keeps the water hot. But when I'm in the shower, I'm often thoroughly enjoying it. And I start praying for those who don't have access to warm showers. So many people in the world don't have access to clean water, don't have access to places where they can be hygienic. Lots of people in the world are cold. And there's this just massive layers of sin that make it impossible for us to share the world's resources. And one of my big dreams for eternity is it's a place where everybody gets all they need and there is no unfairness. This is second of my happy places. This is my sofa. It's looking a bit worse for wear, but don't worry, it's getting reupholstered after Christmas. Now, this is where I sit. And apart from watching TV and reading, this is where I prepare my sermons. What I love to do is get to the fantastic truths of the Bible and turn them into images, into words, into stories, so that I can share them. And that's kind of the peak of my creativity. And I want to be more creative in eternity. And here's my happy place again. You may are if you want. And this is the reason why the sofa needs upholstering. This is Sandy, my grand pup. Now, I've never been a dog person, but Sandy and I love each other very much. 
And um, one question would be, will Sandy be in eternity? And if not Sandy, will there be dogs? And this is a question I'll try and answer. Right, so when I was a younger Christian, I think we had a very reductionist view of life and, and death in that it was all about going to heaven when you die and it was all about getting as many people to sign on the dotted line so they go to heaven when they died. And I remember probably in my early 20s pondering on why did God create such an incredibly complex world if the only thing that really matters is going to heaven when we die. And of course, we've learnt there's so much more to it than that, isn't there? Our hope isn't just that we go to heaven when we die. Our hope is that God is going to completely recreate heaven and earth, perfect and eternal. Remember when he created the world, he said it is very good. And this recreation will be very good. And we will be part of that kingdom in our immortal, sinless, perfect bodies. We will be building God's kingdom on the new earth. And what's the new earth going to be like? It is going to be as stunning and awesome and amazing as this earth. Now what's interesting is that in Revelation, John says there will be no more sea. And I'm pretty sure this is a metaphor. I'm pretty sure when you get to the new earth, you will find there are oceans, there are rivers, there are seas. Because sea is a metaphor for chaos. And what we will not find on the new earth are tsunamis, hurricanes, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes. This place will be beautiful, but it will be safe. So what about animals? Well, really the only animal that's mentioned much in Revelation is horses. So it looks like there's going to be horses in eternity. But if we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah gives some pictures of eternity. And I found a picture that's got almost all the animals that he mentions. Um, so we have lions and leopards, we have wolves, we have bears, we have cattle, we have sheep. And the one that doesn't seem to be down here is snakes, but they're mentioned as well. And the thing about all these animals is they're all vegetarians and they're all safe and they all get on with each other. So it's a much more harmonious world that we're going to be in. As for whether they're going to be cavapoos, I have no idea, but you can always hope. So let's look at some of the symbolism. Now, the picture we have is of the city, new city of Jerusalem coming down from the new heaven to the new recreated earth. And this is a multiple metaphor with loads and loads of layers. And as I said, it's not something we take literally. But if you go on to chapter 21, verse 16, it explains that the new Jerusalem is actually a cube, which, is, which has sides of 220 kilometers. Can you imagine living in a cube that is bigger than the United Kingdom? It just defies belief, really, doesn't it? And unless you're a Borg, sorry, Star Trek reference. Um, so that it is not a literal description of the New Jerusalem. 
As far as I understand, there is only one other cube in the Bible, and that is the Holy of Holies. In, first of all, in the tabernacle, and then in the Temple of Jerusalem, the very center, the most important part, was a cube, and it was where God was supposed to be physically present on earth. So the idea of the New Jerusalem being in a cube is actually saying the Holy of Holies has expanded. We all belong in it. We all belong in the physical presence of God. So what does this mean? We will live actually in the presence of God, physically in the presence of God. We will see him face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. And it won't be like watching a your favourite band in concert from the other end of the arena. It will be intimate. God will wipe all the tears from our eyes. And we will serve him. It will be more than just um, singing praise songs all day. We will be in his service. He'll dwell with us and it says there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. So what does this service look like? I'm going to have to extrapolate a bit from other bits of scripture because we're not really told much. So what I think is we are made in God's image and at the moment that image is tarnished and distorted but then when we're in eternity that image will be perfect and so we will do what God does. So let's just look at some of the things that God does. God loves, God is love, he's relational. God lives in perfect harmony and love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created us to be in relationship with him. God calls us to be in relationship with him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus tells his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than he who gives his life for his friends, just as he went to die for them. So the first thing we will be doing to serve God in eternity is we will be living in love, we will be loving God, we will be loving each other, and it will be self-sacrificial love, just like Jesus showed us. The second thing is the awesome creativeness of God. Just look at the world he's made. It's so vast. Every snowflake different, every leaf different. And the brain that he's given us with its ability to create the amazing music we can produce, poetry, painting. And we will be just as creative in heaven because we're going to be like God and God is creative. And remember, for most of Jesus' life, he was actually a craftsman. And I bet the stuff he made was awesome. The next thing, we will work in heaven. It won't just be sitting singing praise songs or sitting on clouds. We will be working. God worked. God created the earth in six days. Jesus worked. His work was doing the will of his Father, whether it was teaching, whether it was healing, whether it was discipling, whether it was dying for the world. And we will be called to do work, just like they did in Eden. Lovely, fun, productive work. Now, going back to Isaiah again, he mentions two things. He mentions building houses and he mentions growing vineyards. Hey, there will be wine in New Earth. What there won't be is doctors. I'm going to have to find a new job when I get to heaven. Right? And the last thing God does is rests. He created the world in six days. The seventh, he rested. 
He's given us Sabbath so we can rest in him for one day. Jesus, what was Jesus known for? He was known for his partying. He was always out there having meals with people, enjoying their company. So there'll be a rest in heaven at the end of our work, but it won't be a passive thing. It will be joy in the presence of God. It will be celebration. Maybe it will be wine, but without cirrhosis or alcoholism. So let's look a bit more about um, the symbolism of the the, um, New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Remember, Eden was a garden. New Jerusalem is a city. Why is that? Because it symbolizes that we are to live in community together. That There are more than two people now. There are millions of people all joined together, living in harmony and self-giving love. And then there's this incredibly complex metaphor that we are the bride of Christ. So suddenly, this great city, this Borg cube, changes into the church, a representation of the church coming down. Why does the church come down from heaven? Well, two reasons. One is, we know that when we die, we're going up to heaven to do whatever you do in heaven. You know, the sort of... um, crystal seas and emerald skies and the eternal praise until the last day when the whole world will be remade and we'll be given our new bodies so that all the people that worship before us will be coming down from heaven. But also, weirdly, Paul says we belong in heaven, that's our place. He says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. So that's why the church comes down But the bride of Christ in itself is a metaphor, isn't it? It's another metaphor. And what it will mean is a unity with Jesus that we can't even begin to imagine. That marriage is just a a shadow of what this relationship is going to be like. And it's going to be awesome. And then another picture we have... The water of life flowing from the throne of God. The trees of life growing alongside the river. Now remember Eden. Adam and Eve lived forever because they ate from the fruit of the tree of life. But when they were able to sin, they were no longer given access to the tree of life. They were barred from the garden so that their sin would be limited to a lifetime. But now... We have access to the tree of life again. And there's this beautiful picture of water of life, of healing fruit pouring from the throne. This new life is about the life that Jesus talked about when he said it came to have life in all abundance. It's about life and light and joy and beauty and creativity. But it isn't for everyone. And uh, Revelation makes that quite clear. Now, a nice way I've found that the way Tom Wright describes it is this. We're made in God's image. So we're supposed to be loving and creative and self-giving and working for the benefit of others and resting in God and so on. But there are people who've rejected that image, people instead who've chosen to be controlling, to be, nominate, to be dominating, to 
make enormous, ridiculous amounts of money at the cost of other people. And for these people, the eternity I described would not be their heaven, it would be their hell. They would not want to be there. I don't know quite what happens to them. I think the, the lake of fire and the second death is a metaphor too far for me. And the other thing I don't know, we have the Christians and we have the people who've rejected the image of God. The people in between them, I don't know what happens to them, but I do know what Mark said in his first talk. God is just and God is fair. And we just have to trust him for the people we love who don't know him. So going back to my shower, if the purpose of our lives is to get ready to live an eternal life that's just like the one on this earth, but perfect and good and holy and full of love, we have to care that so many people in the world don't have access to basic resources. And our call has to be not just to look forward to going to heaven, not just getting people to sign in the bottom line so they can go to heaven. It's got to be about building God's kingdom on earth. And that means building wells in Africa, helping with the food bank or whatever, but so much more. Our call is to build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to give people a foretaste of eternal life. <clears throat> How does that work? Well, within the bounds of this sinful dark world, we're called to live in God's presence. We're called to build a loving, miraculous community. And for God's love to pour out of that community like a river to bring life and light to, to our broken world. And so the way I'm just going to finish, I've got a prayer for us to commit ourselves to be um, kingdom builders. There'll also be a chance during communion to go up for ministry to have a similar prayer prayed over you. So if you want to be a kingdom builder, will you join in with me now? Let us pray. Lord, I choose to be a kingdom builder. Show me what you want me to do to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.